Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown in a week where we did pick up the six points that we were hoping for at the end of last week's podcast. I am Jack Elderton and I'm joined as always by Callum Goodall on his birthday this week, taking the time out of an incredibly exciting day in the rain indoors (laughs) (laughs) Um, to join us to talk about West Ham. So thanks for that, Cal. How's it going? All good. All good. Um, Another year older, another year wiser, I think is what they say. I'm not sure if I agree, but uh, yeah, yeah. it's uh, It's been nice. I had a nice weekend celebrating with friends. That was good. And yeah, like you say, we got the six points. Um, was it convincing? We will discuss, but, <laughs> but six points nonetheless. Uh, an emphatically, emphatically unconvincing week <laughs> where we picked up the exact results we were hoping for. I actually like I could barely stomach Thursday's game because I knew Olympiakos would turn up looking for a draw, and it was just like incredibly frustrating to watch in all the ways uh, many of us I think would have anticipated. Lots of the build-up issues that we were talking about in uh, the last episode cropping up in a really big way in that game and actually cropping up in different ways um, in the Forest game. We're not going to talk about the Olympiacos game because, Christ, it was boring and no one wants to hear (laughs) us chat about it in depth for half an hour. But we are going to talk about what was actually quite an exciting match. Um, The 3-2 win over Forest. A little bit disappointing that there was the same sort of loss of control um, that we've spoken about before on the pod. Uh, we started well. We got the goal that we were looking for. We're in the driving seat. You think West Ham 1-0 up under David Moyes. Surely this is all going to be fine. And then it just sort of fades away, falls apart slowly over time. Forrest came back into it. I actually think when you look at the first half as a whole, they would probably be happier with the way that they played in the first half, uh, minus the big mistake from from Dominguez. They didn't concede too many chances. They were in the game. Um, I didn't think that either team were particularly exciting going forwards, um, but they were quite comfortable. Uh, And then the second half, it just sort of became a bit mad. And for that reason, I feel totally unprepared coming into this podcast because... I've watched the game three times and I'm still not really sure what's going on for a lot of it. It's a bit chaotic, I would say. Um, especially, you know, the opening five, ten minutes of the second half. What's going on? Come out and after such a sort of drab first half where I must mention, I don't know, I'm not sure what we were doing as a collective booing them off the pitch when we were in control for a really long period. <laughs> Conceded a goal, yes. Um but I wouldn't say it was a horrendous performance that warranted uh, booing. It was a bit over the top. And then the second half was completely, um, completely different end to end all over the place. Starts with, with, with good opportunities for us. Bowen's suddenly coming into the game as a striker. Emerson gets a shot off, but then they had some, some opportunities on the break that would be really disappointing. I think on, on reflection from a West Ham perspective, lots of moments where post corner of Lacadimos just lumped it long. Our knee is able to hold it up. Alanga comes into it and they use that classic forest really pace, um, 
on the on on the break to to really cause us problems. Um, so yeah, I, I feel I feel shockingly underprepared for a West Ham breakdown episode, but um, I'm going to hand over to you for your general thoughts on the on the match, <laughs> and then we'll break into some of the things that we both were able to identify and want to talk about in a little bit more depth. Yeah, no, I, I think I echo most of that. I think three two, you kind of look at it uh, if you were a neutral and think, oh, bit of a humdinger, but really like it. It was exciting in the sense that there was five goals, but it wasn't really like a enthralling affair. It was kind of drab, and I don't think there was a great deal of quality on display from either side, bar a few individual moments. But most players that had individual moments of brilliance also had some cock-up somewhere that kind of counteracted that. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, by and large, like you say, we came away with it. I thought the booing was hilarious, but also incredibly disappointing. Like, come on, we we need to kind of not stop the rot because I don't think it's been horrendous, but obviously the Olympiacos performance was dull. We'd come off the back of a few rubbish performances and we just needed to get behind them and G them on. Yeah. Sangare, unfortunate with uh, some, I don't know, a bit of a reverse Yaya Toure. I think Toure was the one that always com- said about using your ass for positive effect. Was it not? Sangare instead has done the complete opposite, completely accidentally, but um, yeah, gifted a goal. And I would have liked, I think my main takeaway which we'll come on to is I would have liked to have seen us kick on from there and use the gift to our advantage and really take the, take the sort of impetus that that provided and then really hammer home our dominance. But instead it kind of seemed to have the reverse effect and we looked to try and rest on our laurels a bit, but yeah, came away with the win. And like you say, we'll break it down. Um, I think, yeah, the, 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 the most obvious thing for me was we just kind of lacked pace a lot, but we've lacked pace for a long time, haven't we? So I think it's, it just becomes even more glaring when you have the likes of Alanga and, and Gibbs White and Awanyi who do have the pace and it kind of highlights those issues uh, when you when you see them bear out in front of you. Yeah, I think in a sort of overarching sense, it really bears out the things that we've been talking about so far this season in that we are going to be comfortable against teams that do want to play this way against us when they can't defend with the quality that they need to to stop us from scoring goals. And you look at the game as a whole and you say, we've scored one where they've given it away in just on the edge of their own box completely disorganized really easy goal for us to take the lead and then the two we score in the second half are both set pieces and you look back at the Sheffield United game you say balls into the box were a real problem for them as well so it's these games I mean it's so classic noise right it's that when you come up against teams that are a little bit more comfortable defensively happier with the ball um, but also you know really really confident at letting us cross the ball into the box and, and heading it out then it's going to be really tough for us against teams that want to take possession and want to dominate it allows us to be something that we're very good at and then in these kinds of games you get these these slightly maybe underwhelming performances where there's not really enough you wouldn't you don't come away feeling that we've really done enough um as a, as a collective but we've got enough about us in moments we've got enough about us offset pieces and stuff and these teams aren't quite good enough in those areas to be able to to prevent us from getting the results that we want to get which is why in in many ways it sort of all points to what I suppose we've been saying without really saying it, we look like a very mid tabley mid table team um this season, but one that is going to be very adept at getting results in in cup competitions because of the way that we play. It suits those tournaments we're very good in those tournaments um and then to to go from that overarching look into the into some of the minutiae um one of the things you 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 mentioned was getting that early goal and and wanting us to sort of take that on and 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 look to establish some dominance in the game from there and something we've spoken about a lot and I spoke about at the top of this episode was control dissipation. I know that you looked at the numbers uh, before we started. And again, we're looking at massive PPDA drop, um, post-goal, long pass percentage increases, um, and just general indicators that even though you think of a Moist team as being very good when we get in the lead, we're perhaps a little bit too comfortable <laughs> um, not pressing home and advantage giving the opposition room to break back into the game get some confidence get some rhythm going and then as a result of that actually just ending up losing control of the game in the way that we need to have to 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 stay comfortable and stay ahead yeah no massively and i think as particularly as the long the long pass percentage uh ticked up afterwards i think 
for that probably is fine in some scenarios and it's a hallmark of a moist system of course but it's only really fine when you've got Antonio up there to battle the likes of Mario at the back who I think we both wanted to highlight as a player who looks like he's got great potential and had and had a good game at the back for Forest and was kind of central to everything that was good for them um, and I think asking Bowen as good as he has been and we'll come on to his his potential development as a striker later on but asking him to do the Antonio role is something that we just know that he's not going to be able to do. And, it, and it's kind of wrong to ask him because it's just not, it's not who he is as a player. Like Antonio, for all his flaws, is a physical monster. We've known that for a long time and he can go up against any centre-back in the league. But Bowen's much better peeling off the shoulder of a defender and running in behind onto the end of a ball. And if you're just going to lump it to him, we are going to lose the ball. And as soon as we lose those aerial duels, we just invite another wave of pressure and we can't, a really reset or regain any control because the pressure's just coming back and then we're all a bit disjointed again and it's just constant wave after wave and eventually you're going to get caught out and eventually yeah they do they do score and I think there's there's multiple things that come into it and I think the 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 goal as well I suppose I don't know it it just felt like the culmination of us just struggling time after time to get out and Zuma just going oh well let's try something different we'll play this sort of vertical line breaking pass that we've both wanted for a long time but maybe not from Zuma who's uh, uh, for all his strengths his his passing has never really been one of them unless it is just kind of a short keep it ticking over at the back I don't know if his technique is necessarily that great and I think we saw it with that the pass for the receiver it just bobbled all the way up to him and I know could have tried his best to get it under control but it kind of turned into a pinball moment and it just bounced around and then Compounded by the fact that Zuma's recovery pace is now rocking at a low zero, uh, I think it was it was unfortunate. But on the flip side, it does make me think: how good would Kurt Zuma be if he actually had that pace? Because defensively, yeah. he's sound and he'd be an absolute monster if he was quick. But but yeah, it's just frustrating. I think there's yeah, there's there's almost two camps, isn't there? That managers fall in. It's like the okay, well. If we don't concede and we score one goal, we win. And as soon as we got that one goal, the the focus is very much squarely on not conceding, rather than that. Well, if we score two goals, we're even more likely to win because then they've got to score three to beat us. So Moyes unfortunately falls in that other camp, and I think at times, yeah, it, it's it's to our detriment because the whole system is built around such fine margins. And as soon as those margins start to slip, it's very easy for opposition to exploit those weaknesses. And all of a sudden you're on the back foot again, chasing the game. And thankfully we obviously came out the other side with the three points, but I think on any other day we, we might've got caught out again and come away with nothing. So, Yeah, I think Zuma's recovery pace is probably a good thing to to talk about a little bit as well. It's something that popped up last season and it wasn't, you know, Tufal again, someone you wanted to mention with with recovery pace. And the reason I was going to talk about last season, I was thinking about games, I suppose, at a similar-ish stage of the season, maybe a little bit later in the season. But you remember the sort of Palace and Leicester games last season where we tried to to take a bit of control um, with the ball. We tried to press... Um, we pushed both fullbacks high in the same way that we did in in this game. And actually what ended up happening is we, we ended up getting exposed quite easily um, on the break. And teams were really, really effect- – those two teams were really, really effective on the break against us, probably less than more so than, than, than Palace. Um, although you'll, you know, I think everyone will remember the goal that Palace scored right at the end of, uh, of that game where Antonio – doesn't quite connect his cross or maybe he should have taken it to the corner or whatever and then it's far too easy really for, for Palace to go up the other end and and, and score off a deflected um, Elisa shot and then simultaneously um, or similarly in the Leicester game uh, I think it was Tilo Carer at that point playing right back and he was really really struggling getting forward and then recovering and I think it's Harvey Barnes in that game that that exposed his lack of recovery pace I, th- I think that's probably maybe you know a problem that we have in the squad is that there, there aren't an that many players um, in those areas who are going to be comfortable at recovering at speed when when you end up progressing into the into the opposition's half, everyone's committed pretty high, minus the centre backs, um, and it becomes, yeah, I suppose easy for teams to to exploit those gaps. And it happened to Sufal in this one with with Alanga a couple of times. I thought Alanga could have made quite a lot more of the moments that he. He got in behind uh, a couple of really poor crosses, um, even though still, you know, he gets his goal and, and he set up a really, really good chance for a one you that one you probably should have put away. So you come away saying that he's done a pretty good job for them. Um, it did look at times a little bit worrying for Sufal in terms of making those 
runs all the way back, especially like you say, with Zuma alongside struggling very similarly um, to deal with balls that go in behind as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think the, the sort of, yeah, last season, I think when we had Creswell at left back and you had a Gerd alongside him, it's like the, the, the fullback can get sort of, he's supported by the fact that a Gerd has incredible recovery base. So yes. Okay. If you have Suval at the right on the right, that's fine. But if he's not being supported by someone who can then bail him out, if he is, if someone does burst past him, then it's, it becomes more of an issue because instead of just a gap behind a fullback to exploit, it's now a gap behind a fullback and a centre back, which is an entire half of the pitch. So it's, uh, it, it is much easier, uh, for them to exploit. But I would agree. I would agree on Alanga. I think there were chances where he should have done a lot more. And also I'm just not really a fan of tops off in the 63rd minute. I think that is always, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure I believe in fate, but I really do feel like you're asking for something to, to go wrong. If you're, if yes. you're tempting fate that much, that early into the game, um, cracking rig on him though. Fair play. Uh, I'll give him that. But uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's frustrating. And I think I love Zuma and I think it brings up that discussion, doesn't it? Of the high line versus the low line and all that sort of thing. And I think, for all the fans that obviously want us to play a sort of more front-footed, proactive, defensive style out of possession and, and push those players up, I think moments in this game kind of, f- uh, for as much as we all want and can criticise them always at times, and we do, I think there is also evidence to suggest that there is obviously some method to us dropping a little bit deeper sometimes and, and playing that lower black, uh, block um, at the back. Uh, and that's because in recovery, we are likely to be found out. Um, and also, I think the centre-backs necessarily have to play a bit deeper when you want Soufal and Emerson to take on such a primary role in in terms of creativity out on the flanks, um, particularly if we're going to persist with not really being able to progress centrally very well. The emphasis is going to be even more on those wide players. Um, so, Agurd and Zuma have to drop a bit deeper because they kind of know in themselves that if they don't, then yeah, they're, they're going to have an even longer foot race and that gives Alanga even more time to get up to top speed um, and it becomes even more of a problem. But yeah, something that recruitment probably should solve. I think maybe long-term, this isn't me, by the way, calling for Zuma to, to be dropped or anything. I think he's obviously still integral to how we defend and, and should stay in the team for all of his strengths. But I think long-term, obviously, he will have to get phased out that that knee that seems to have been given in problems isn't going to get any better. Presumably he's definitely not going to get any faster, but I think in Mavropanos, you kind of have an, a good, a right footed, a good there in terms of a, he's much more confident on the ball. Um, B he's a lot faster than Zuma. He seems to be as good in the air from what we've seen. Um, so I think all in all long term, I think the replacement is there, but obviously we don't want to drop Zuma yet in favor of Mavropanos because it's not, it's just not the right time. <laughs> um, but also he needs to, you know, he needs to maintain, you know, something we spoke about last week in terms of players not necessarily translating across from different leagues and or, or different teams or whatever. And he needs to maintain the levels that he showed at Stuttgart when you're looking at those aerial jaws. And yeah. um, as much as he has shown in some games, he, he can be really good in the air. He did have that moment in the Brentford game uh, yeah. where Collins got... Um, over the top of him and, and he ends up heading it into his own net. And and like we said in that pod, you know, it's not something that would happen with Zuma there because Zuma is so good at that side of the game. So mm-hmm. Mavropanos needs to hit that kind of level if he wants to dislodge uh, Zuma from the team because having a defender that good in the air is so crucial to everything um, we do defensively. And also, you know, you, you wanted to mention Sufala as well and talk about how recruitment could potentially fix that long term, having someone who's a little bit quicker basically uh, yeah. at right back would help um in terms of covering those deficiencies and also just help recoveries on on, on that side of the pitch i thought in difficult circumstances Sufal coped pretty admirably i would say i think he yeah. had a pretty good game he got forward he helped us a lot um getting forward had a couple of really really good moments there was that one crazy good a good crossfield pass there Sufal surged in off the right took it on his chest and and, and put the ball in behind and Bayern just started his run slightly later um, then he then he maybe should have done, and it meant that the he wasn't able to get on the end of that pass near Kate got to the the ball first. Um, so I think he he did a good job in the in the circumstances, but certainly if you're constantly looking at areas that you could maybe improve um, the squad, that's one that's maybe not urgent, but with Sufal coming towards the latter stages of it, of his career, that possibly a, a speedier version. <laughs> would help us a, a lot and, and something we've also spoken about someone who's maybe a little bit more um 
reliable as a, as a final third contributor as much as Sufal has been really good at that this season. We've spoken about earlier in the season, the uh, overload to underload principles helping to unlock, you know, Pakita being on the left, really, really playing through the left so much through Emerson and Pakita has helped to unlock him as a, as a final third contributor as well. Um, back to a similar level to what we saw before. Um, there have been right backs that we've looked at maybe that that West Ham could have picked up um I don't know we we both we both were really interested in Barr at one point I think he came up top of our right back auto shortlister when we were looking at that before before he's become the player he's become in in recent seasons so again it's something that we could look at but like I'd say like I said at the start of speaking about it it's relatively low mm. on the list of things that that need to be addressed. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this going, number six, striker, left winger. There's so many things to address before you get to, um, to write back. And yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, one of the questions we got before recording this episode was um, from at Ross the Bulse on, on Twitter. Sensational at there. Um, I have to give <laughs> massive credit for that. Um, but two questions. Why are we playing a newly formed position of advanced defensive midfielder in Suchek? And uh, why does James Will Prowse hide from possession rather than provide an outlet in the middle of the park? Less so today than Thursday's game. I think both questions are interesting and both bring us to talking about midfield. And um, I I want to point us more in the direction of um, talking about midfield building and how that's worked with with Moyes at the helm at West Ham, rather than focusing too intently um, on on individuals, because we've spoken a lot about Ward Prowse, we've spoken a lot about what he brings to the side. Again, in this game, you see how useful his set piece ability, how crucial his set piece ability is um, for us as an attacking team. And actually, in the first half, when he was further forward, um, because in the first half, Alvarez was. Much, by far the deepest midfielder actually getting alongside the centre-backs. We were building from more of a three um, and Ward Prowse was getting quite far forward, had some really nice moments in that more 10 position. And then the second half that completely changed. Strangely, I would say, I'm not sure either of us really know why um, it changed quite as much as it did, but Alvarez was getting much further forward and Ward Prowse was receiving more as a six rather than dropping inside along uh, alongside the centre-backs. Um, and, and, I would say he did a better job in possession than in previous weeks where we've been highlighting him as more of an issue. Um, definitely more so in the Olympiacos game. It was more problematic what he what he offered us on the ball. And then with Suchek at 10, it does become a little bit like what's going on because you see Ward Prowse do these really, have these really nice moments in, in those areas. And as much as Suchek is really useful as a box crushing player, can't he do that from eight? <laughs> you know, with Alvarez sitting really deep and, and Suchek surging forward when the time is right, seems like he could do a, a lot of that from that position. Uh, but to move it away from that, one of the things I think I wanted to really focus on is actually we just don't buy those kinds of midfielders, the, the kind of midfielder who is defensively really competent, but also, you know, a high volume progressor, someone who is going to want to take the ball a lot and going to want to play forwards a lot. It's not really the kind of player that we look for. If you think about the players we were linked to in the summer, we were linked really heavily to someone like Scott McTominay, who, again, I mean, it's almost like, you know, I tweeted this, it was almost like you could sort on Scout by least progressive midfielders in the top five <laughs> European leagues and then also add goals um, or XG and kind of have the least progressive but most likely to score uh, midfielders. And that's where you'd find a lot of our targets. Um, and players we've looked at, someone we were looking at quite a lot over the summer was Joey Veerman. You talked about Tiani Reinders. We both were really interested in Andre. You really like Mats Weaver and Zaruki. Um, all players who would be maybe more, have that combination, someone who is going to be useful defensively. I liked Veerman personally because I thought he was so moisy. I thought, you know, the guy scores mm. goals and also is a reliable progressor. But with a lot of those other players, they're good defensively, but they do want to take the ball a lot and they always want to try and play forwards where they can. Um, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because it's been going on a long time. It's been an issue for a long time. And yet we seem to have no interest in any of the players that are on the market that could help us solve it. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I actually can't. I, it's just one of those conundrums that I genuinely can't get my head around. Like, I, Sometimes you can kind of explain it away. Like with, with, for example, what we were just talking about with the Zoom one, it's like, well, why wouldn't we just buy a really tall, quick centre-back who's really good on the ball? And it's like, well, A, they're quite hard to find. Uh, and B, also like tactically the way we are going to defend nine times out of 10, Zuma is the one he's like the best possible option for a club with our resources and pull. So it just 
that's the, that's how I talk myself out of that situation. That's why it happens. But with this conundrum, it's like, I just don't, I'd understand if there was not a, a midfielder that's six foot one, six foot two plus who can dictate play from deep areas and also offer excellent sort of rest slash transition defense. But we have found like six or seven of them that we think would at least be able to come in and offer something to the squad at the bare minimum. Uh, and sort of instead, we find ourselves in a position where we're trying to spread all these responsibilities and kind of giving one responsibility to each person. So it's like, okay, Alvarez, you're the defensive guy. Uh, Ward Prowse, you're like the set piece guy, and we're going to ask you to do build up, but you, you're not really the build up guy. Paqueta, like you're the flary guy that can, makes things happen around the box. But there are players that can do both. Like there are players that can do the Alvarez role and the Ward Prowse role and roll it into one. And I think I don't know. It, it just seems to me like we got caught up a bit too much in kind of trying to replace Rice in parts rather than just taking maybe what would be seen as a bit more of a gamble bringing on a player who was doing that sort of stuff, but at a lower, in inverted commas, level, whether that's the Eredivisie or in, in Brazil or whatever, um, for someone who's like seen as a bit more of a sure thing in, in Ward Prowse uh, or in Alvarez, who'd been bossing it in Champions League for, for a few years and reached Champions League semi-final, etc. So I don't know, it just kind of, it, it seems like we're, tr- we're favouring less risk to try and spread ourselves a bit too thin. Whereas if we'd have just taken a bit more of a gamble, then, then we might have found ourselves with, with the player. Um, I think it's worth saying from my perspective, I think the players that we recruited made a lot of sense and I can understand why they're here. Ward Prowse is offering huge upside to us. I, I don't think we would be winning these games without Ward Prowse. No, I think no he, of course he, not. He, we're doubling down on something that we do very well and probably, you know, we're one of the best teams in Europe at attacking set pieces. So to bring in the best deliverer of those set pieces makes total sense. And, you know, he's a fine contributor in other ways as well. He's not someone who's going to offer huge amounts in in other areas of the game, but he's going to tick over just fine. Um, I think the worry with him is that when we've put him deeper, more even more so maybe than what he does in possession, is that he gets caught out of position defensively a little bit too much. And then you think about, well, why isn't Thomas Suchek back there? But then you invert the problems, right? Thomas Suchek is going to be less reliable in possession than more Prowse is, maybe more reliable defensively. And then you lose maybe the height and uh, an extra presence in the box that you get when Suchek is very much the, the 10 playing, playing off the striker. I think... It's more for me. It's in games like this. It's like why can't we have one more in in the area? Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it that we should be targeting another midfielder? Um, as much as as much as it's a bit of a weird one because Lucas Pacatar is here. He hasn't really found his slot. He's ended up on the left because defensively he struggled when he was at six. He didn't contribute enough offensively from 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 ten as an actual final ball provider. Even in this game, he does so much good work between the boxes but then when you're looking at the several opportunities he had to play a final pass he buggered the most of them up um and i often you know i stand at games and say the simpler the final ball is the more likely lucas bakatar is to overthink it or get it wrong uh the harder it is the more likely he's going to pull it off um so yeah I, i i can see how we almost seem overstacked in that area. So why would you want to bring another one in? Because you've got Pakatai, you've got Suchek, you've got Ward Prowse, you've got Alvarez. Um, Flynn Downs is out on loan as well. Connor commentaries there. Obviously, I now I know are breaking into players that are not around the first team. But there are a lot of players in the squad, in the unit, that can play in those positions. So I can understand not going for more. But in these games, it just we just need... Uh, someone like Lanzini who can defend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's just someone who can tick over, take the ball a lot play it forward the vast majority of the time. And I'm not talking about really complex passes. I'm not talking about, you know, playing really difficult passes, just simple five yards, play it forward, take it back. So you're constantly sort of poking, moving the defense around, engaging defensive midfielders and stuff. Whereas a lot of the time we don't do that enough. We end up building down the sides of teams it becomes easy to shift over it becomes difficult for us to create chances and that's kind of what happened a lot in the first half we were good we were okay we were fine we had the ball quite a lot and then over time we stopped creating very much we weren't creating very much to begin with we weren't able to break down we started being a little bit more insistent on trying to play long be direct uh becomes very orientated around what a good can offer um from 
deeper from center back with his with his distribution which to be fair is really crucial to to, to what we do in build up um where yeah it just feels like having a midfielder who'd be more confident on the ball in that area would help us a lot and i wanted to bring it in that direction because there was very little to kind of highlight after this game because it was so chaotic and difficult to break into there was little to talk about from the olympiacos game and i didn't want it to end up being another conversation about individuals not offering enough because actually we haven't got players who have that as their key ability sometimes i do think i'll oh, just shove lucas pakatar in a deeper position mm. um for this kind of game because it would help us even if it's only sort of situational if he's not playing there um as his as his position on paper but that's where he ends up a lot of the time um in possession because he can do that he can take the ball a lot and he can play it forward a lot but even then sometimes you look at him and you think he probably introduces too much risk he's probably trying to too many of the more difficult passes when i'd be happy to have someone who doesn't doesn't do that quite as often just plays the simple forward passes and helps us move forwards helps us progress up the pitch um and control the game with the ball um which is the main thing we've been speaking about over the last two episodes moving on um jared bowen up front uh starts another game we've won another game with bowen as the striker uh we spoke about i think i said last week it's becoming more inevitable that that is going to be what it looks like this season more and more inevitable kudos is a good player he's playing well off the right um and that probably means that bowen is going to have to move up front um so let's talk about you wanted to speak about his performance in this game in a little bit more depth yeah yeah i just think it's worth highlighting like his i I just think his development in this possession is in this position um yeah it's been stark i think obviously as we said um at the top well not in the middle of the podcast losing aerial jewels is obviously frustrating but i think that's him being misused and and Moyes asking him to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do but i think generally and i think in the second half he he was brilliant and i think for a number of reasons i think firstly we know that he's a good presser he's an intelligent presser he's a hard working presser and i think one of the potential remedies to it sounds bizarre, but also our transition defense, I think is to be able to counter press a little bit more effectively, because even if you just buy three or four more seconds, you allow the fullbacks, if they're the most advanced to get, to get back a little bit and just settle that, that back four at least. And the likes of Ward Prowse and Suchek to kind of get back a little bit more as well. So that they're facing the ball rather than sort of running back facing the goal and kind of trying to second guess where the ball's about to come from. So I think having someone like him up top, um, to set the press and also to be supported by the likes of Paqueta, by Kudus as well, who's shown to be quite an aggressive out-of-possession player. Um, I think that is a real strength. But I think as well, sort of, his movement has always been good off the right, Bowen's movement. I think his his runs in behind have always been good. I wasn't sure how this would translate to central areas because um, I think it's very different peeling off the sort of far side fullback to peeling off the shoulder of a central defender who is more physically imposing than you. So it's a different skill. Um, but I think he's shown real development in this. I think part of the frustration last season when he made great runs from the right is that oftentimes we didn't have players that would spot his run quick enough and and play that ball. And I still think this is somewhat a frustration for us uh, when Bowen's making these runs in central areas. I would like to see Paqueta and Kudus maybe unlock those defences a little bit more because I think Bowen is constantly making these runs. But I think not only sort of is he spotting the gaps to run into, but I think he's timing his runs so much better this season as well. And not just his runs, but also his leaps. And we see that with the goal. Like There's no real way that someone of Bowen's stature in that sort of melee in the middle of the box up against not only Forrest's tall centre-backs, but also all of our own tall players in there. There's not really any way that someone like Jared Bowen should be the one getting on the end of that ball, but he spotted the gap. He sandwiched himself in front, in between all these tall players, timed his leap to perfection and, and, and got on the end of the ball and headed it away. And I think that is a skill that I really didn't expect of Bowen, nor would I have been upset if he didn't learn it because I just think, okay, instead of crossing the ball, just put it a bit lower and let him get a knee on it or a foot on it or something like that because his movement's good, but airily I'm not expecting him to compete. And fair enough, yes, like we say, we're not expecting him to compete for long balls. I think that's that's unreasonable, but if it's a whip delivery and he can sort of exploit the space and get in there, I think that is a real, a real strength and particularly a strength that is going to serve as well 
for the remainder of the season, I would think if we're going to persist with sort of building down the flanks and crossing into the box, because you're going to need someone to get on the end of Emerson's deliveries or Soufal's deliveries, and we've seen it. Um, and I think there's at the start of the season, there was moments where Soufal and Emerson were putting the ball into the box and Bowen was just missing it by a yard or two. He was stretching maybe to reach it. And I think we're slowly starting to see those sort of, I suppose it's as much about his timing of his runs as it is with his relationship with the fullbacks that he's not, it's a different relationship that he's developing, particularly with Soufal, who we sort of know he's, he's understood for a long time in terms of that sort of right wing or right back relationship. And it seems like now they're sort of getting used to the, okay, yeah, the passes have to come at a slightly different angle or a slightly different weight, or I need to cross it a little bit later or earlier. And it's starting to click. And I think that is probably one of the hardest things for a striker to learn, particularly if they're learning it this late in their career. I'm not saying that Bones come towards the end of his career, but obviously he's not trained as a striker he's tra- and he's exploding completely different spaces. So yeah, I just wanted to flag it. There's obviously still a lot of development to go, but I think it's promising because for so long we've kind of been a team that's so dependent on Antonio and without him and without another striker of his mould at the club, it's kind of all seemed a bit doom and gloom. But now we're sort of seeing us attack in slightly different ways and seeing Bowen develop at the same time. It means that it's not as pressing a concern that we have to play with Antonio all the time because there's no other way. We now have another way. Yes, we probably still need to sign another Antonio. Uh, of course we do. We don't have an out-and-out striker outside of him. Um, and some would even say that he's not that. So I think obviously striker is an area that we need to invest in anyway. But it's just really reassuring to see Bowen fill that void while we need him to. Well, it's hugely important for anything we're going to do this season, isn't it? That we had some kind of backup if should Antonio not be available or is in poor form or it's not fit or whatever it is that we would be able to be a functioning unit <laughs> without him. And it's it's really, really um, relieving to see that Bowen has performed pretty well in the role um, and has given us just about enough of a platform um, to, to allow us to perform to the level that we need to to win this kind of game. And like you said, it's really, really good to see him scoring goals like the one he got, actually. That's exactly the kind of goal I'd like to see him getting um, because these are the kind of areas we attack so frequently. And if he can be a contributor in those positions you know, scoring goals from corners and stuff like that, then he's going to really be a good option for us as the as the primary choice up front, which probably helps Antonio a little bit as well at this stage of his career to be to be a second half player rather than the first half guy. Yeah. Um, as much as at the start of the season, he was giving us a good platform for 60, 65 minutes. And, and we were saying what, we, what we've seen as a 60-minute team with 65-minute team and something that's fallen apart afterwards probably better for us if actually we're a 60-65 minute team with Bowen up front and then you can bring Antonio on to have the impact he has against more tired legs where he potentially be even more impactful than he was in the first half in the first half at the start of the season anyway saying all that I didn't think it was that good when he came off the bench <laughs> um, <laughs> against Forrest so yeah we'll see how we'll see how that works out bringing it back to just a couple of things that that that, that didn't go as well as you would hope um in this game one of the things i do want to talk about just briefly before before i come to you to talk about things that are going wrong areas that need to be improved on and then different managers that you've been looking at that that would be able to build on those areas obviously it's becoming an increasing increasingly hot topic um what happens when Moyes goes everyone seems to have decided that Moyes is going to be leaving at the end of the season it seems pretty clear that Moyes is going to be leaving at the end of the season um will still was in attendance um at the weekend so that you know, adds fuel to that fire and um, builds that discussion on social media and stuff. So I thought we'd talk about managers a little bit, but I wanted to just mention before we go on to that, that um, one of the things I'd really like to see us do a little bit more thinking about the last couple of games, Brentford and uh, and Forest, is just that we, as much as I don't expect us to be a pressing unit, I would like to see us target some of the key distributors a little bit more aggressively. You know, if you're looking at the Brentford game and how it became chaotic, we just allowed Collins too much time <laughs> uh, to distribute from centre-back. Um, and it, it allowed them to be in more control of the game than they should have been uh, for periods of that match. And then similarly against Forrest, you see Mario just whipping out really, really good diagonal balls, dribbling forwards, constantly releasing Toffolo into space, finding a langer at times in good areas, played some really, really good passes throughout the match. And then I think about the match as a whole, and I can't think of too many times where we actually tried to close him down. And if you're looking at how Forrest play, and you think about the other options they have, you think, if we close Mario down, what's he going to do? Pass to Niakate. 
or Toffolo? <laughs> Are they going to be able to contribute in the same way as he was? Probably not. Um, and that's maybe one of the issues that we could start with is out of possession, being able to, to, to press a little bit more aggressively when you need to. Um, let's talk about some of the options that, that, that you've got in mind that would be able to build on what we've already got. Not just not completely tear apart what we've already got. <laughs> Look at what we've got and say what are the different sort of in possession and out of possession things that we can add to this to make us a little bit more adaptable and build on the things that West Ham do well. Yeah, yeah, I think you've you've segued very nicely there. Actually, I think counter pressing was one of the main issues that I think I'd picked up on, and I think it's something that it's it's it almost seems unusual now to not at least try and counter press a bit uh, in most of Europe's top five leagues it's kind of it, it crept into the game a while ago and now it's kind of commonplace for any top flight team to at least to at least try it after losing possession in the final third try and win it back and it's something that we don't do enough of um and i don't think it necessarily it I think there's sometimes a misconception that if you're a high-pressing team, then that means you also have to play a super high line. I think you can still retain that sort of defensive solidity that Moyes would want um, in in just not necessarily pushing the the full team forward, but just sort of have a pressing pack at the front, if you will. So maybe, I don't know, your, your attackers and a couple of your midfielders create this sort of pressing swarm as soon as you you seed possession and then if you don't instantly win it back you then retreat but the defense are already in post ready to uh, defensive against those transitions that you're inevitably going to have if you've just lost possession um so on that counter pressing was something that i highlighted and i think there's a couple of managers that i picked up on um one of which i've i've highlighted almost exclusively for the pressing i think um from what i've seen he's he's a very exciting young manager uh that I think, yeah, could could pivot into a, a, a bigger league. Um, and then the other one who I'll start with, um, I picked not only because of his counter-pressing, but also because of how much more competent I think we would be in the build-up phase as well under him. Um, and that is Imanol Alguacil from Real Sociedad, La Real, who have been tearing it up uh, in La Liga for a few seasons now. I think, caveat, one of the big issues is that he probably won't leave, uh, but but he is incredible, and I think even still we could we could learn a few things from from how the team um, set up and how they function. Um, and I think yeah, the counter press is is a key one. And I think when you look at the personnel as well, this is this is something that we we focused on in terms of yeah, okay, I could just pick a bunch of managers who I like, but if they were to come to West Ham, would they be able to get much out of the squad that they've inherited? And I think one of the key players in Alguacil's team um, in terms of both in possession, goal scoring, and setting the press is Takafusa Kubo, who I think is an unbelievable talent. Um, but also, I would like to think that there are at least some similarities between him and Jared Bowen in the way that they play in terms of being a creative but also dynamic goal scoring threat who can play through the centre but also out on the right wing and have a very wicked left foot and an abundance of pace. So I think you bring Alguathelian, he's going to love having someone like Bowen because he's not going to have to change too much in terms of his principles and his philosophies. Um, and he's got someone who's already very much accustomed to the Premier League anyway. So the, the transition is is not too much of an issue there. Um, and I think as well, you also have someone in uh, Oyartabal who he's been using as a striker recently, despite him being a winger. But as well, I think he is integral to the press and having someone in a false nine role, if he, that is the, the system that he decided to deploy, it might fix, at least in the short term, uh, the issues with, like we've discussed, the Antonio mould, and maybe we wouldn't need that anymore. And you could have someone like Kudus playing in the false nine role, dropping in with the likes of Kubo. And then I would say that we'd probably need to re- recruit a, a new left winger who's a bit more prolific, who can then sort of split and peel, but also run in either side of Kudus who drops in to facilitate the play. Um, and I think the three of those as a pressing pack would be new winger, Kudus, and Bowen would be really exciting. But also in the short term, if we weren't to recruit, you probably could play Paqueta out there on the left wing. He's he's shown that he can do it out there at the minute um, with different strengths, less prolific, but would facilitate the play of Kudus and Bowen. And also we know that Paqueta out of possession is a very good presser. So I think that would be, yeah, something really interesting um, that I would like to see is, yeah, that sort of slightly more aggressive counter press, but without having to really mean that we become weaker at the back because, I mean, in terms of a defensive team, Real Sociedad are great, but also are just putting up 
much more impressive PPDA and challenge intensity numbers than we are, whilst also creating higher higher quality chances as well. Um, the other shout for counter pressing is is slightly different. So, like I said, Algothil sets up in a four three three, or had been known prior to this season to set up in a four one two one two. But when David Silva retired, he had to sort of drop that because he didn't have the sort of archetypal 10 although on Algothil you think if you want that archetypal 10 maybe you just drop Paqueta in and give him the freedom of a David Silva and just let him cook in the middle but and then he would still be integral in the press however um, another counter-pressing coach who I think I expect to go on and, and take a bigger job soon but it's Christian Ilzer who has been doing a great job at Sturm Graz in Austria obviously a league that we all know is dominated by RB Salzburg because they've just got a pipeline of talent but for the last three seasons, Ilse has finished second with Sturmgratz and closed the gap in terms of points every season to the point that even with a few games to go last season, there was still a chance that Salzburg weren't going to win the league. So I think the the sort of project that he's built there and improved year on year and sort of really hammered home this tactical philosophy is is really impressive. Whether the pivot to West Ham would be too big a jump, probably. Maybe, I don't know, a lower a lower. Premier League side or I don't know someone in the Bundesliga might be a more logical next step because I think the the style of play from Austria to Germany is not so dissimilar whereas it's a lot more diverse in the Premier League a lot so it might be a bit of a more challenging step but the reason I picked it is because I think as we said one of the issues is where we fit in all of the sort of central players that we have or players that are better in the half spaces or in central areas and he sets up in the 4-1-2-1-2 which I think um Quite often, yeah, it has not necessarily... Some people frown on it because it, it can leave you vulnerable um, in, in defence because obviously you're quite exposed on the flanks. Um, but I think in defence, it kind of drops into a 4-4-2 at times, which I think obviously this West Ham side are, are more than capable of doing. But I think out of possession, if we're going to solve this counter-pressing issue, the way that they press is kind of they have a, f- a, f- a five who is sort of the rest defence. So that's the back four and then the six, who in this case I would have as Alvarez. And then you've got the partner of the double pivot, who I think in this instance could be Paquetar alongside Alvarez in terms of contributing from deep. But then in the counter-press, he bombs forward to join uh, Ward-Prowse, Kudus, Bowen, and I would say a new striker to create this sort of pentagon press, if that makes sense. So you kind of swarm as a pack and just don't give them any time. And this allows the fullbacks to drop back because these are the primary creators in Ilse's system. And then while you're swarming, the fullbacks get back, set the four with Alvarez controlling and screening while the pack sort of press. And then if you don't win the ball back straight away, you drop back into this 4-4-2 block, which we know that West Ham can do. If you do win it back, you have this sort of direct transition style of football where you have all five of these players who are happy operating in tight spaces, playing one-touch football and getting in behind the defence. And I think with Bowen's movement, with Kudus and Pakata in the in the ascendancy, with, like we've said, Ward-Prowse's main strengths being around the box, but also setting counter-presses, as he did at Southampton under Hasselhutl, who, whoop, Kel Surprise is also Austrian and comes from that high-pressing style of football. So I think it's just a nice blend. So, yeah, I think it gives you that defensive solidity but with the counter-press, which I think is kind of this misconception that we spoke of at the start. Moyes seems reluctant to press because it seems to be that if we do press, then obviously we're instantly vulnerable. But here are two managers that are very committed to counter-pressing and have some of the highest PPDA numbers in their respective leagues, but also some of the best defensive records at the same time. So it's just to say that it's not <laughs> it's not one or the other. You can do both if you can coach an effective press. And I think that is the issue, is that Moyes hasn't and presumably can't coach an effective press it's just not his philosophy it's not his style and yeah to expect him to do so maybe is is unfair but that was the counter press and then I've got one more if you want him on build up um, and that I think Alguathil obviously as we said the build up situation is is very much the same but he's he actually records well Real Sociedad I'd rather record the lowest number of crosses per 90 in La Liga this season everything is central everything's all about central overloads sort of tight one-touch passing with progressive central midfielders either side bringing in the 10 or this season as he pivoted to the 4-3-3 he brings in both the wingers into central areas to sort of allow for 
central overloads again and then it obviously means that the counter press is more effective because as soon as you lose the ball all the players are closer together already because they're trying to build things centrally so you're less spread I think that's obviously part of the reason maybe our press is less effective as well because at West Ham currently we're quite wide so as soon as we lose the ball none of our players are close together to set the press whereas under Alguacil all the players are already there and same again under Ilza, they're already there. So they can swarm straight away rather than those valuable seconds where the opposition might be able to break through straight away and then attack us in transition. The other manager I've highlighted in terms of build-up for slightly different reasons and someone who has seemingly been linked for us every time there has been a vacancy but is doing very well with Lille and Ligue 1 at the minute is Paolo Fonseca. Um, I think question marks have always existed around Fonseca. Largely, I was sort of less than bowled over by his defensive approach I think Uh, at first he was at Shakhtar dominant league he could afford to be super super attacking without really ever getting punished then there was phases of his Roma era where I thought this is really good and then other eras where I was like this is a bit of a mess but I don't think he had the squad that suited him and now at Lille He's he's doing a great job, um, both in terms of possession and out of possession. But I think the reason I've highlighted it is, and it kind of brings us back to what we were saying about uh, Sufal earlier and sort of the transition defense and how we can help out Zuma if he's not going to have the recovery pace. And I think in what I've observed of Lille this season, um, instead of playing a, a, a right back who bombs forward, everything kind of goes through Ismaili down the left, who's sort of the Emerson role, who basically doubles up as a left winger constantly in attack. And the right back is actually a more defensive minded who slots in to create a three-man build-up. So in in my mind, we have Mavropanos at right back, Zuma alongside him, and then Agurd as the left centre-back. And this shuffles across where Zuma is in the centre and has a centre-back either side of him who has recovery pace, but also excellent distribution in, for, to play through the thirds. And both of them, Mavropanos more so than Agurd, but both of them have shown tendencies to be able to disrupt an opposition by carrying it into the final third where a pass isn't on. And I think this is something that we maybe didn't touch on in this episode, but one of the reasons that we've struggled in possession is that in losing Rice, we don't have that player that likes to just disrupt it. If there isn't a pass, Rice would just drive through and disrupt it that way. But now we don't have that profile. So we're looking a little bit more stagnant in build-up again. So I think in having this, you allow Emerson to bomb forward, which we know he wants to do. We know he can do. He's a great ball carrier. He's proven to be a real positive in the final third. So you free up Emerson to constantly go down, attacking that right-hand side. And then you bring Mavropanos into the team to play as a situational centre-back, but sort of right-back in this in this four-back shape. Um, and then I think you then have this sort of three two five build up shape that we've quite often talked about wanting to see given the profiles of player that we have, but haven't seen it enough. Um and that's with Ward Prowse and Alvarez ahead of the the three, but then Kudus and Paqueta coming in to create a box midfield with Ward Prowse and Alvarez. I'd be having Paqueta out on the left wing in this and he shuffles in and Kudus playing in the ten but slips over to sort of have a right ten and a left ten, if that makes sense. Um, and then Bowen as the right winger, Emerson coming up to create the left wing and then sign a new striker to sort of play through the middle. Um, and I think this could really work. I think it, it's defensively solid. We have that cover to sort of protect us against transition because you've got the three centre-backs there ready to to spread if they need to or to win those aerial duels if the team decide to come along. Um, it also means we have an extra man in the final third generally speaking, and it allows us to bring the best out of Emerson as well and and be far more involved in the attack regularly rather than sort of taking it in turns to bomb up and down um, and sort of allows for us to succession plan for when Sifau eventually is no longer fit enough to just constantly bomb up and down as he is at the minute. Um, but I should say, I just I, I think it's worth saying, I particularly like that kind of approach to squad, uh, to looking at the squad because of the fact that, that Mavropanos is there as someone who can play as sort of a full back in inverted commas but as a centre back in possession and also yeah. there's Tilo Caro hanging about in the squad who does the same thing really yeah. ideally if you're thinking about what suits him best it's probably playing that kind of role um, so it's not a bad way of looking at what the squad could do the issue again is like you say is need to need to bring a striker into it to 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 make it work and I think you also still need to bring the kind of midfielder that we've been talking about earlier in the episode in um, and then you yeah. end up in a bit of a situation of where does James Ward-Prowse go? Um, exactly, that's it. Because at the minute they've got 
Benjamin Andre, who is actually someone that we've flagged up previously as a midfielder that we wouldn't mind coming to West Ham. Um, but then also Angel Gomez, who bizarrely is playing this weird sort of deep eight pivot role, but it's because his distribution from deep areas is so good that it, it masquerades the defensive frailties per se, although he has seemed to... That masquerades was not the word you were looking for. <laughs> masks, I think. We'll just stop at masks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, yeah, we, we would still need that profile. And I think by and large, we'd need that profile for, for Alguacil as well, because they've got Zubimendi, who defensively Alvarez can do Zubimendi's work, but also Zubimendi is an exceptional progressor from deep areas and, and sort of plays that six role. I mean, there's reasons he's being linked to Barcelona, City, etc. Um, so yeah, finding that profile, I would say, is still there. It's just kind of, do we see us recruit that profile while we still have Suchek, Alvarez, Paqueta, Ward-Prowse with Sullivan holding the purse strings? Because <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine he's going to want to invest all that money into another central midfielder because necessarily it's going to cost us a lot of money to find someone. And this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, to just finish the episode on this, it's worth saying, you know, as much as there are deficiencies to to Moise's system, Moise's approach, Moise's management at, at, at West Ham, and that makes you want to build the kind of Frankenstein's monster manager that you've just built from <laughs> from from a, from a few different options. Ultimately, any manager is going to have issues, and um, and any manager is going to coming in to replace Moyes is going to need different things to the things that, that unless you go for someone who's exactly the same and in which case what's the point um, yep. is going to need different things in the squad um, in order to be able to fully actualize um, their, their approach. And, um, and that's why I think it's a really complex issue because ultimately with, with Moyes here, as much as I am sure people in the fan base find his, his style frustrating perhaps find certain games not as entertaining as they should be. And I would agree, you know, I was really let down by the way that we played against Olympiacos. I know it's difficult against teams that sit behind the ball. I know it's really difficult against teams that, that come for a, for a nil-nil. But to watch the sort of lack of fluency in, in build-up, the lack of control that we have with the ball, as much as you watch the game and you say, well, clean sheet, never really looked that bothered defensively, obviously did still con- you know, concede one big chance that Olympiacos probably should have scored from. Um, but on on balance, you'd say probably just did a good job of winning a game that we had to win without being too impressive. Um, it, it wasn't the most wonderful um, display and not something that's going to leave people really excited about watching West Ham. I certainly think if you were a neutral and watched that, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I can't wait to tune into the next West Ham game. Um, but despite that, um, I just never really feel like we're going to go down. Um and the risk with bringing someone new in and the resultant change that you would have to bring into the squad um, is that there's that potential because of how competitive it is now at, at, at the throughout the Premier League, really, but below the, the top six. And this season is maybe a little bit different because the quality that's come up from the championship maybe isn't as high as it has been in, in, in other seasons. Um, makes it, it, it really risky. To, to to change managers when you've got someone where you think, actually, we're pretty comfortable. I don't think we're ever going to be in dire trouble with, 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 with Moyes here. We're, we're going to be a pretty stable Premier League team. And actually, he's got a, a way of playing that's pretty effective in the Cups and has proven to be pretty effective in the Cups. We get pretty far in the Cups. So if you're an owner of a football club, you, you maybe do look at that and say, well, what what are we trying to be here? What What's realistic? What can we achieve? Well, being a team that occasionally pops up in the European places is going to finish mid-table most of the rest of the time and is going to generally push deep into the cup competitions where possible. Um, Surely that's what we're looking for. And that's why it's a complex issue. That's why it's such a complex issue. Because as much as it might be preferable to have a a more engaging style, um, those those approaches bring, bring other issues that maybe widen... The, the the possibilities in both directions, you know, widen the possibilities for being a, a more effective and successful team over long periods in, in, in the league, but also widen the possibilities for being a, a much less successful and effective, uh, reliable um, team in the league. And yeah, as, as I said, it would, it would require pretty significant investment in a couple of key positions, striker, one of them, you need a top striker, especially I think if you're going to, 
play a more possession focused style of play. You need the yep. striker to be to be of a of a really good level. And you also need a top level setting midfielder who can progress the ball um reliably for you. And and that's gonna cost a lot of money if you want to move the squad in 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 that direction it's going to be really interesting i think uh, we, this season's going to be i think at times a bit of a slog but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at the end of it um because whatever direction we move in is going to necessitate some kind of major change in in the squad makeup unless we stick unless we stay which seems more and more unlikely by the week um anyway Bit of a bit of a strange episode, this one. Bit of a uh, collage, uh, but anyway, we'll be back. I think we're going to take a week off because there's not much. There's not much <laughs> after this um, until the next run of games. So I think we'll have a week off, and then we'll be back after the international break for another episode of the breakdown. Uh, meanwhile, please do head over to analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members if you want to support the pod, keep us going. Uh, that is going to change relatively soon. I'm doing a web update. I'm doing two web updates over the course of the international break, so I'm not stopping work completely. Uh, so the website will have a, a couple of new new features um, at the end of the next couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, until, until then... Uh, have a nice break, really. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a bit of a week off from football. Thanks, Cal. Uh, and see you all in a bit. Sports Social Podcast Network.